0: Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24/7 Sports Network. It is December 1st, <laughs> Friday, December 1st, Year of Our Lord 2023, and I am joined, as always, by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you,
1: Dave? That was such an inspiring intro. My God, I'm, well, I'm feeling know. I'm feeling something running through my body right now. Ooh. I don't know what it is. If I come up with the description, I'll share it later. But yes, pure electricity. I'm sitting up straight in my yeah. You know, um, the movie uh, uh, Groundhog Day. Correct. Okay, so uh,
0: when when he drops the toaster in the bathtub, no. Uh,
1: Close. When Bill Murray starts leaning into it and really getting into it, and Mm -hmm. then he meets the guy in the morning again. And who says uh, gonna go see the groundhog? And yeah, because <laughs> it's going to be a great spring, and he inspires that guy. And he walks off. That's how I feel right now, Dave. Yeah, you're it's... you're Bill Murray. I'm the other
0: guy. Yeah, I have I have enthused you. You yep. are enthused. I feel good. It's December first. Uh, the regular football season is over. Uh, when I say it like that, doesn't it sound very normal? It sounds like it was a very normal season, nothing major happened, <laughs> nothing too interesting. Um, when last we spoke, Tracy, yes, uh, we had we had taken the UCLA-Cal uh, result as uh, more or less a foregone conclusion. Oh uh, my God,
1: that's right. We had not done. <laughs> yes. Wow, yes, that indeed. seems like a long time ago.
0: And then uh, UCLA face-planted and uh the 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 droves the masses uh yours truly the planes uh, uh, <laughs> uh, decided okay well that's obviously obviously this is this is kaput this is done this is over whatever you know thinking was going on before this this come on this this has got to be it all contraire oh uh, uh Martin Jarman. UCLA uh, decided not to fire uh, chip Kelly after going seven and five and losing 33 to seven was that the final score 33 to seven to Cal I think so uh, they lost 33 to seven to Cal uh, they beat a USC team that was somehow quitting even harder than they were and they lost to ASU in Arizona so they lost three of four to end the year two of those two at the time losing teams. Um, martin jarman elected not to fire chip kelly um and you know that that word trickled out we reported it from sourcing ben reported it from sourcing but there was no public statement of any kind until today when uh the ucla athletic director martin jarman uh gave an interview to bill plaschke um, of the la times of the la times Uh, and we were talking
1: about ben Bolch. Of the LA yes, time. Ben Benjamin. I, mean, I know you're on first name, and you guys are buds, but Benjamin
0: a... Ezekiel Bulch. Uh,
1: that is his middle name.
0: Yes, uh, but uh, uh, Martin Jarman gave his uh, gave an interview to Bill Plashke, who wrote what I would describe as an excoriating column, um, and it was uh, I, I think all uh, I think the classification would be harsh but fair. Um, And Jarman's quotes, generally, I would characterize them not necessarily as a vote of confidence, but as a vote for inertia. Uh, It was very, um, we need continuity heading into the Big Ten. Uh, They graduate players really well. um, A lot of good citizens. Uh, Disappointing year. We recognize the need for changes. Uh, Chip recognizes the need for changes. Absolutely no specifics about what those changes are. And then uh, NIL, um, they recognized the need for more NIL opportunities for the athletes uh, between him and Chip. Uh, no, it was devoid of specifics. It was devoid of, um, I think, really reckoning with a fan base that is, uh, it's not simply disappointment with a single year, but the level of disgust and vitriol, I think, has only, only been matched at any point by uh the two sequences during the alford era uh 2016 and 2018 where again uh and the plane ba- the, the plane banners flew there were two uh,
1: right for steve alford too
0: yeah so 2016 yeah. there was a sequence and the 2018 um i think that was the uh final fours not first fours or whatever it was on the banners oh right too um that was in 2018. So there was that. Uh, and then this week, obviously, the plane banners flew again. Uh, on Tuesday, there was the um, read the room fire Chip Kelly. That was a reference to a Martin Jarmond Instagram comment in response to a fan who asked him to fire Chip Kelly after the USC game. And Jarmond, who was, um, you know, pumped up after that game, you know, walking the victory bell off the field, uh, told that fan to read the room, uh, and then uh, and then so uh, some fans thrown that back in his face, and then uh, apparently there's another one going to fly today. There were a couple that apparently were uh, sent up by USC fans. Uh, Do we
1: know them. that? We don't know that.
0: Uh, that could be, have been that no, could yeah. have been
1: uh, Chip you, Kelly's. That could have been Chip you, Kelly's family.
0: Could have been, uh, but a USC fan claimed it on Twitter. Uh, oh, he so did. In any event, uh, it's been. Um, a uh well just a good time over here in westwood
1: is that the same guy pilot and he's having a good week
0: i uh, so he's probably saw, getting tired he's not, i saw I'm done with this f- i saw somebody flight tracking it on our message board oh, and that's crazy. it's coming from the same airfield so i think it's the exact same company
1: oh my gosh it's they can't from make like a, a
0: chino airport
1: they can't make a banner fast <laughs> it's I,
0: like what are you doing screen printing that thing um
1: and can they get a better a little bit higher quality banner you know, like it's, a copper tone banner with some, I mean, it looks so plain.
0: Yeah, like, I don't know. I'm not it's,
1: talking about the UCLA people. I'm talking about the company.
0: Yeah, well, like a little bit of color, make it yeah. stand out against that bright blue sky. Well, you know?
1: yeah, that was what was funny. Uh, you took a photo of it because you were on campus. And then on our front page, when that story got relegated to off the very lead story, are <laughs> oh, you saw <laughs> All you saw was blue sky. You had to like right. get in. But then it was like almost like, a, where's Waldo? You keep getting closer and closer, and then you finally saw it.
0: Yeah, then you finally see it. Um, yeah, so it's uh, – look, is it um, ever a good sign when UCLA fans are flying banners? No. Um, do they have a 100% success rate in eventually having that coach being fired? Yes, yes, they do.
1: Yeah, let, let's talk. Let's 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 talk a little bit about this plane flying banner issue. Um, there are there those people out there that are really believing that Dave and I are up there in a biplane <laughs> with goggles, leather jackets, scarf flying behind us, flying these planes. We do not have. We did not promote this we're not doing it we have we don't know how to fly i like well i'm speaking for you dave do you know how to fly i don't know how to fly okay um w- were the people who organized it on our forum yes but just so everyone knows and that everyone comes up to speed like with that thing called the internet we're not we're not we're we are not responsible like we're not doing what people are doing on our forum. If something is written on our forum, you can't say Tracy and Dave wrote it. No. So, but just to make it clear earlier this week, I said, hey, could you stop organizing this? It, there are people out there that are perceiving it, that Dave and I are the ones actually doing this. So I had to make that distinction. I know there was an uproar, Tracy, we should be able to use this forum to do that. I get it, but I'm just, I need a solid here because there are people who don't understand.
0: They do not understand. Um, and there's then, a lot of things a well, lot of Wait, things I, want thing. I want to say one more thing.
1: I want to say one more thing. People are arguing about whether those banners have been effective in, in uh, making change. From my experience and knowing what happens within UCLA's athletic department, uh, and this is not promoting it, I'm just reporting facts from what I know, it very much impacts the athletic department, and their decision-making. At least that's been my history of watching those banners fly.
0: Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, people people paying money to have something literally flown over the campus for an hour, yeah, I would think that would have some sort of effect. Um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things that are hard to understand um, this week. Um, I, 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 So... Here, we've made the case already about Chip Kelly, so I don't know that we need to hammer that point again. Um, except, like, it's... I, I don't remember a time where UCLA kept a guy who was so clearly, um... I, Underwater? I, yeah, well, I, I, I want to even go a little step further and say who was already so clearly failed. Like, failed as a descriptor, not as a verb. Like this this regime has failed like it's 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 not over obviously that decision has been made but it is you know at a fundamental level there it's hard to see a path forward um and the last time you could see this was really 2018 when they elected to keep Steve alford after the 2018 season and then were forced to fire him by the end of December in Uh, that season. You know
1: what? Just to interject there. I think to me, this is worse because as we, as we have always discussed between a basketball and a football program, yeah, to turn around a football program, it's like turning around a a ship. Uh, Steve Alford could have got incredibly lucky, you know, and, and got a number one point guard in the country the next year for whatever reason, he always wanted to be in Los Angeles. One or two players can turn around a, the uh, success of a basketball team, college in one year. Uh, that's why this is different. It, it is it. It takes a lot to turn around a football program, and it. If we're talking about that ship turning around, it's it's not turning around. It is it is kind of just sitting there without an engine, almost going under.
0: Yeah, it's the uh what was that ship that got stuck in the Suez Canal?
1: I don't know. You always know these kind of things.
0: The you... ever given. It's uh-huh. the ever given. Okay. It's stuck in the Suez Canal. It's obstructing the canal. And then uh, interestingly ta- that yeah. that was in twenty twenty one, which was the same year UCLA probably should have changed coaches.
1: <laughs> and you're talking about you have never seen that where there's a coach that is in such disfavor that has been retained that has as daunting of a task of, of, rebuilding a program. And he is rebuilding his own program. I wrote earlier this week that I've never seen a combination of the football program and the uh, administration in a worse state than it is now. Uh, yep. it behind the scenes and I, I can't get into details, but I, I can basically say what I've already written I mean, the combination of dysfunction, uh, just extreme delusion, living in a bubble in the athletic department, uh, politics, uh, and absolutely self-interest, right now is the worst. Those things always come into, uh, whenever there's some kind of company making a decision, those will always come in to be a factor. But I've never seen the athletic, UCLA athletic department, in terms of making a decision be so frozen in, in, by all of those factors than it is right now.
0: Well, and I want to I, I, – there's um, – this is something I've been given a lot of thought to, um, which is the economics of the sport, like the economics of major college athletics, uh, demand a lack of complacency with mediocrity. Um, the, a healthy athletic department does one of two things with their football program. They either win at an extremely high clip or they blow out their coaches every four to five years. That's just, and that's the bleak reality of it. And it's what every major power five program does. Um, And the reason you do that is very simple. Uh, That's how you juice donations. That's how you juice interest. That's how you juice fan engagement. That's how you juice all that stuff. If you're not winning at a high enough clip to keep people engaged already, Uh, seven and five forever kills programs. Um, And, Arguing for continuity of mediocrity is just about I'm, – I'm having trouble understanding that. And what you're saying, is,
1: just so you know, that was Martin Jarman's main theme. Right. And arguing interview.
0: for that reflects a lack of – and this is where I don't know because I'm not in his head. But the the uh, the um, apparent reality of those statements, I'm going to take them at face value. I'm going to say those are genuine uh, opinions. It reflects a lack of understanding about the major economics of college athletics. Um, continuity of mediocrity is how you kill a program. It's not, it's not how you maintain. It's not how you build. Not in the modern era of college football. Um, not with how people engage donation-wise. Not with how people engage with season ticket sales. It's just not how it works. Other programs yeah. figure this out. Dan Guerrero pseudo had a handle on this. Um, well, it's
1: all it's not black and white. Every single decision maker has a certain um, a threshold of where they realize that. Dan Guerrero could go a little bit longer than most than the taste from uh, of most people who were watching, but he came around to it begrudgingly. Um so far with Jarman that hasn't happened.
0: Yeah. And and Dan was good about getting his ducks in a row too. Um which is also an important factor. Um, yeah, I mean, this is, uh, yeah, it's, it's look, I mean, I think we're all taking, um, essentially 2024 is a given that it's going to be rough. Um, and there's a lot of reasons to expect that. Um, you know, there've been transfer reports this week, which we will probably go over. There's going to be more next week. Um, when the portal opens on Monday for, uh, all underclassmen. Um, but the roster is going to be in i guess from a comparative standpoint it's hard to know what they're going to acquire in the portal like we can't speculate too hard but it's it's going to be in a it's going to be in a continuously worse shape i think than it was this year and this year was i think in worse shape than it was last year like we're clearly moving down from a peak uh which was i think 2022 um and I think the recognition of that of that trajectory is also important. And, yeah, it can be hard to suss out a trajectory from two data points, but it's not hard to project, project a year from now. And a year from now, this roster certainly looks as if it's going to be in worse shape than it was this year.
1: Yeah, I, I could talk endlessly about this um, because I've written a few stories that kind of teed this up over the course of this season that trying to get people to realize uh, – what's going to happen with recruiting, with transfer recruiting. I mean, we can kind of just review really quickly. Uh, uh, NIL has been a factor in recruiting. Uh, The transfer portal really started in its form as it is now, which is just basic college free agency, for the last two off-seasons. NIL wasn't a thing really until the last, the most recent off-season. Since then... I've been hearing from coaches, players, players' parents, uh, agents uh, just uh, this is all this off season is going to be all about NIL. We saw Matt Rule saying the going price for a transfer quarterback was I think 1.5 Did he say 2 million or 1.5?
0: He said 1.5 two million Yeah, he was 1. just 5. Kind of talking to generalities. Yeah. Right.
1: Um it is the first generally it is the first thing out of a recruit's mouth. It used to be crass to do that even just last off-season. Now it isn't. It's 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 now in the realm of acceptability. Uh it, NIL uh, is understated by saying it's the lifeblood of a, of a program now. So um UCLA has neglected its NIL program. Uh, Men of Westwood have been doing uh, just God's work and trying to make it happen. Um, But there's a ton of resistance uh, among UCLA donors to contribute to NIL. Um, I I got a little bit of news, um, and it hasn't happened yet, but um, I'm hearing that there are some donors that want to contribute to uh, the nil now basically to support chip kelly there are some out there that that want to do that um chip kelly is now trying to get more actively involved in raising nil money we saw the promotional video that that he did um but we all knew nil was going this way uh i wrote about it probably beginning two two years. I wrote about transfer portal like four years ago. Um, it all was the indication. It, there were so many indications it was going this way. When NIL first hit UCLA resisted it. It was hoping, uh, you know, we just hope the NCAA finally <laughs> institute some rules, you know, or eventually get around to it. Well, that's not happening. So UCLA didn't get a jump on this. Seriously. You got to, you got to, thank men of Westwood that those were donors that on their own volition decided to start that. This was not UCLA looking around for someone to start this. They did that on their own. So UCLA was in denial about this and there are plenty of donors who are in denial about it, who don't want to give to it because they they just (laughs) they don't want to come to the realization of what college football is about now. Like uh, there, there might be donors out there that would have cheated before and given money under the table. And now that it's above, (laughs) above board, they don't want to do it because it's, it's the strange I'm talking. Remember I use the worst dysfunction. This is one element of it. There is, it is a weird era in college sports. So Chip Kelly's trying to jump on board of NIL and, uh, you know if he raises millions of dollars that might help him in the transfer portal. That, well first off their first priority is to retain some of the players that are currently on the roster Yeah. Um, I wrote earlier that there's a weird byproduct of this that it hasn't done very well recruiting from the high school ranks. so there really aren't that many high school that any players on the roster that came from the high school that that are going to cost them a lot of money to retain. Um, which is another weird <laughs> kind of byproduct of all this. Um, so that's their first priority. But they're gonna, you know, they'll try to get out there into the um, nil market, the, the transfer portal market. I I, I fail to see. I'm, I'm struggling to see how they'll really compete at a high level. The way I see this go, even if they get a lot, some nil money that I'm talking about. I still think they're going to end up going down the route of what Chip Kelly did before with high school recruiting is the good kid, solid three star who isn't a standout and a standout real impact player. And that's those are the the guys that he's won with where he won nine games are, are the DTRs and the Zach Charbonnets. Those are the guys, the, the guys that aren't just Ivy League guys, the real players, the NFL players are the ones he needs. So this is the way I see this going. I, I, I've thought a lot about it. I've tried to be as objective as I can, as always. There's a slight chance that it, that it, it changes and, and changes course, but I just don't see how it could happen.
0: So let me, I I want to drill down into this a little bit because look, I thought I was Dave. No, you were, and you did a great job, but I want to even drill a little bit further because there's some specifics about this year that I think everyone was able to identify with their own eyeballs and we're only projecting a year from now. So it doesn't require calculus. This is very simple. Every year in the transfer portal, I've seen it projected that there's, you know, 25 to 30 power five starter level offensive linemen who enter the portal. They are going to be the hottest commodity in the portal. They just are. It's the reality. A bunch of scrubby offensive linemen last year got big NIL deals because they're a hot commodity. UCLA's offensive line for next year, right now, is going to be a combination of um well frankly a tackle room where they need two starter level tackles because they don't have any uh guards maybe they've got one I don't know I mean I think for a good Pac-12 team you probably want another starter at guard and you probably want a new starter at center
1: so wait hold on so this is let's just let's as we're drilling these are your opinions Right. I'm I believe UCLA does believe and here comes a little bit of the delusion that they have at least one starter tackle and probably at least one if not two starter guards
0: got it yeah. so right so right there everyone out there listening you all watched with your own two eyes this year do you believe that or do you believe me because or your own eyes group, right Uh, Looking at that and then looking at what UCLA did in the transfer portal this past season, um, they didn't get any starter-level offensive linemen. They got a bunch of guys who had started games at previous places but were deemed not good enough to start over the developed players within the program. Um, What are the odds this gets fixed next year? And I've got my answer. Should we all show our work at the same time? It's not going to it would take such a level of NIL commitment to get the like actually like five or 10 really good offensive linemen to get some proportion of those to actually fix this offensive line that it's unrealistic to expect UCLA to do that um so then you've got that and then you've got quarterback Ethan Garbers did a nice enough job over the course of the year uh I think Obviously, compared to what Dante Moore did, he was significantly better over the balance of the season. Is he a ideal top level or top half Big Ten starting quarterback next year? You're, a, you're asking me or are you yeah, you're asking, asking
1: everyone out there in the void yeah, yeah. of the, the answer. Is,
0: the answer is no. The answer is no. Uh, the answer is you probably need to uh, think about that, too. Uh, if you actually want to be successful next year in the big ten and these are these are harsh points because- so so
1: yeah let's let's just talk there let's talk about quarterback. so if they go into the portal to look for a quarterback, which you think they would because it, from what I know and uh, you know this is our favorite word, someone's got to make some t-shirts, uh everything is always fluid. we're bringing you into the process. So everything can change. But at this moment right now, you want this information. So this is why we're telling you. Um, uh, The UCLA current quarterback room, after Dante Moore has said he's... It could still lose some people. Um, I've said, I believe, from what I've heard, that Justin Martin could uh, transfer. That could change tomorrow. Um, But knowing what I know about that situation, I think he would be a good candidate to leave um so if they go out let's say they feel like you do dave that ethan garbers isn't the guy who can lead them in the big 10 and ucla goes into transfer quarter for a quarterback what do you do with your ethan garbers
0: you transfer out immediately
1: you transfer out immediately because he's going to graduate soon so he will be able to transfer again um so will ucla be able to pay like a million and a half dollars for a quarterback. I I'll say no in NIL money. Um, so where does that leave that you either ride with Ethan Garbers or you maybe settle for a, a transfer quarterback and hope nothing against Colin Schley. I, I I'm a Colin Schley fan. What he did this year, just playing with a, a severely injured sternum. I mean, he was a warrior, but, you might get a transfer of that level, so or I mean you might convince yourself the transfer you get is better, but this is where this situation is at quarterback um it it's you don't see a path forward for it unless they decide just to say we're going we're riding with Ethan Garbers,
0: yeah, and then uh, so I guess that's the the sum total of my point is that these two areas where there were critical issues this year, and one is linked to the other, because if Ethan Garbers is healthy the whole year, does UCLA play a little bit better? Do they win maybe one or two more games? Possibly. But why was he hurt? Because he kept getting hit. Uh, because the offensive line couldn't block anybody. So, if that's true, and if they're saying they might have a starter level at tackle, which is... Uh, it does not that does not hold up under any level of scrutiny scrutiny um you know Garrett DiGiorgio and Bruno Fina were the two uh probably weakest offensive linemen in the group but um you, you can't believe that you're going to go into next season with Ethan Garbers as your starter and maintain him as your starter the whole year if you maintain this offensive line yeah and well, that's, you're and going that's the, to lose him Right. And that's if you maintain Ethan that, that's and that's if you even just say that Ethan Garbers is a top half in the big ten level quarterback. Which I I I don't think so. Maybe. Maybe he develops into that. I don't want to knock the kid. Um it's just uh this this isn't a it's not a great situation. And we're not even talking about the defense. Like we're not even talking about look, Danton Lynn is going to get offered. Will UCLA be able to step up enough to prevent that from drawing him away? That's a question. Uh this defense has I'll, a lot I'll of break NFL a little candidates.
1: News. I'll break a little news right there, Dave. USC is is seriously pursuing pursuing Dan Lin.
0: There you go. Uh will UCLA be able to step up to prevent that from happening? We'll see. Uh but there's also the NFL. It's going to come calling for leotu Latu, absolutely. But there's also a few other candidates on that defensive line who are going to strongly consider it. Um, there's candidates in the linebacker room who are going to strongly consider it.
1: Well, let's let's. I, I want to go. Uh, what you're doing is good. You're framing it, but the Murphys are going to want a lot of nil. I believe this is me speculating, knowing what I know. The Murphys are going to want a lot of nil to stay at UCLA. What would they do? They've already transferred once. I think I think they just put their name in the NFL draft and, and roll the dice.
0: Yeah. Gabriel Murphy would be drafted. I think they both would. They both get pressured. Yep. Um and that's a hot commodity in the NFL. So uh the the point is there is a lot to replace and it's a lot of positions that are coveted at you know, you can get wide receivers. Like, you can get corners. You can get these things that are like, okay, yeah, there's a bunch of the guys who are like one and 200 pounds that, you know, you can find. It's the same thing with high school recruiting. Like, you never really need to worry too much about wide receiver recruiting because there's always some guys with talent. Uh, edge rush, that's hard. Uh, offensive line, that's really hard. Quarterback, that's really hard.
1: Interior defensive line. Interior defensive line,
0: defensive line that's be the really, hardest. really hard. Yeah and they're going to have to replace a lot of those guys. I mean uh, and I'm not going to go super specific because some guys might make the decision to stay, some guys might make the decision to leave, but they're going to if if the odds play out the right way, uh the way you would expect them to, there's going to be some real bodies to replace in that front seven on defense and there's going to be some real bodies uh to upgrade on the offensive line and th- that's a lot of cash. It's a lot of NIL
1: that it is a is. lot in this environment right now. That is going to cost
0: you to a program that has a cloud over it. And that's the other issue is that like all those recruiting truisms that were, you know, we've held fast to for, you know, decades and decades, they don't suddenly become false or not important in an NIL era. The money is going to be relatively equal for a lot of these guys, and then they consider all the factors that have always been considered. You know, how stable is the coaching staff? How stable is the situation? And yeah, some of the one-year rentals, maybe not. But any guy who's thinking about two or three years, they got to think about, well, you know, is that is that staff going to be there when I'm, you know, there in two years? Well, that and,
1: the, and that's the first step. If you, when the transfer portal opens up and you're a defensive lineman and you look at UCLA's defense, you're going, wow, okay, okay. Either interior, this was a showcase for both edges and interior defensive linemen this year. So you're saying I could go there and I got one year, I can really um, showcase myself for the NFL. Kind of key, though, that Danton Lynn is the defensive coordinator. Yeah. So you're going to wait that out to see if that happens, if UCLA retains him. Right there. Yeah. Yeah. So... uh, we could go on and on, and it sounds it sounds. I know. Hey, first I want to thank all the bros, because we're trying to give you insight into how all of this works. And a lot of times, especially right now, it's not necessarily uplifting. Uh, I know there are people that like their sports to be happy and hopeful, and. Just sometimes it's not. And we don't want to be a drag. We don't want the forum to be a drag. But it's reflective of the sentiment and the mood of the fan base. Um, We can't neglect reporting just because it's not Sunshine and Puppy Dogs. Um, We try... To be honest, we're not we're we're not even giving it to you completely straight because we just don't want to overload your brains on it. Um, we want to make it a little bit of a pleasant experience to come to the site. Um, given that, I did write, and here's a little bit of hope. Uh, Gene Block, the chancellor, leaves UCLA in June. UCLA will be replacing him. Uh, I've said. A few times, that is the biggest potential development, biggest event in our UCLA fandom lifetimes. Um, and it, it doesn't have to be that a chancellor, like I wrote this morning, he doesn't have to go into his UC Regent interview wearing a UCLA football jersey, you know, with pom-poms. But as long as there is a chance that the new chancellor recognizes, what a good UCLA football program does for branding for the university, how that is probably the number one public facing um, entity of, of the university, uh, that it is a marketing and branding gold mine. Uh, UCLA is the most applied to school in the nation, it just was the most, pretty much the most. I th- can't remember the exact term, but most popular university on Instagram. You've this is a branding goldmine, and as a university, uh, football is just so underutilized in that way. Um, we saw it with Pete Carroll when Pete Carroll started winning at USC. USC uh, started receiving more applications. It's uh, academic reputation and ranking went up. Um, I, I have talked to some SC people and within SC, they they wouldn't admit it necessarily ever publicly, but they did attribute some of that to Pete Carroll's run at with the football program at USC. You would hope that the chancellor, while he's not a big UCLA football fan or just a football fan would recognize what ucla football can do for the university as a calling card that's all i'm saying i would have to think there's a chance at that
0: yeah i mean that's the hope for sure and um uh certainly with the hiring committee um the hope would be uh that they recognize that and pursue that and i think you know people aren't stupid um you know all evidence to the contrary, uh, and so I, I would think uh, pe- people will recognize that, and I think that's uh, that's a valid hope for people to have going into this hiring process. Um, all right, that's that's all I really want to say about this right now. I, I mean, I, I've given my personal opinion on it. You've given your personal opinion on it. This is um, again. A, a pretty bleak moment, uh, I think, for UCLA football fans, for UCLA athletics fans generally, I would say. Um, and uh, I think it uh, reflects a lack of understanding of where the fan base is uh, and also, like, the economic realities of college football, as I said. So
1: So then you say, Dave, let's turn to something a little bit more pleasant in the basketball <laughs> program. <laughs> And it's funny uh, uh that was a you know that was a legitimate you know feeling to have because yeah. they came out of the Maui Invitational and they I I liked the way they looked that was very um encouraging that they played two of the very good teams in the country and they could have beaten both of them while they they didn't necessarily even play that well. But UC Riverside last night like I wrote that started that performance started to generate a little bit more concern.
0: That was, um, a very, very poor showing, uh, from UCLA. So there were some mitigating circumstances. Mick Cronin was not there. He was out sick. Darren Savino was coaching the team. Um, And, you know, uh, it's an assistant coach having to step into the duty of doing all the, like, roles and responsibilities, rotations, all that kind of stuff. And it was a mixed bag from that perspective. Um, So on-floor stuff, um, obvious issue. Uh, (laughs) Adem Bona, um, after... I don't know, start of the year maybe not having as many foul issues, uh, fouled out in 13 minutes, um, completely out of control. And it was kind of similar to how he played in Maui, or not Maui, in Oahu, um, with just uh, silly fouls, like stuff that you, you often don't see it from freshmen even. Um, like reaching out and, uh, fouling a guy who was going out to defend a three point shot because he didn't set his screen in time. Um, like just obvious stuff that anybody will call. And he was doing it constantly. The um, two
1: over the back calls.
0: The, the second, the, the last one especially was just, you, you are, just you are so far from out of position and that guy is in perfect position. So you can't do that one. So the Sometimes first when you're out of position and two guys are fighting for it, you can go for it. Or if you don't have a foul. Right. And, that- and the,
1: the first part of that, Dave, is he was out of he didn't get he didn't get position.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's it's strange with the Dembona this year. I know you yeah. have a theory, but he is he is not playing well.
0: Can I throw my theory out there? Yeah, let me just really say important.
1: though, he's wound up. He's he's just sped up on both ends of the floor, uh, to where he's just making really silly mistakes in on on every facet of the game. So, Dave, why do you think that is?
0: So, I'm gonna uh, Mick Cronin is a great coach. Um, we, we we really like him. He's, he's very very good at uh, coaching basketball. He's he's going to be the UCLA coach for a very long time uh, and will win a lot of a lot of games. He likes to torture UCLA fans for the first two months of every season with <laughs> some little theory that he's trying out. Uh, I think it was three years. No, it was two years ago. It was the up tempo offense uh, that they abandoned after Vegas because it didn't work um, last year. It was Tiger Campbell being Steph Curry, which they abandoned in December because it didn't work. This year, it's two things. It's a Dembona. You've got to be the scorer. And combined with that, we're going to go big. We're going to go with two centers a lot of the time. And both of these things need to go on the same scrap heap as the last two theories entering the season well really
1: first why you like it why you even like why um mick cronin is a good coach is he is trying these i appreciate a coach who's going to try something and fail and then adjust and adapt i get it they they had probably the best team in the country by the end of the year if there weren't injuries while he tested that theory and scrapped it so i kind of like that um The theory is you get a little worried. There's one of, obviously, there's one of two ways this can go. Either this kicks in and it works, or it doesn't, and hopefully if it doesn't, it does the same thing that happened the last two years.
0: Yeah, and I think, I mean, here's my thing is I'm having trouble to see, I'm having trouble seeing how it could work at this point. We've now seen enough games where it's like, okay, Adai Mara isn't, strong enough yet to do the things that he would need to do to make this work alongside a Dembona. Like, and I mean strong enough literally in holding on to the ball, making sure he can you know even hit a high-low. A Dembona isn't playing under control enough and limited signs that that's going to happen at this point to be the recipient of that sort of play. And also, whenever he's drawn out to the perimeter, it's... On both ends, it's a waste of him. Because when he's drawn out to the perimeter on defense, yes, he can move his feet very well. But given that Mara is still absolutely swimming, uh, Bone is the only rim protection they have. So if you bring him out to the perimeter where he has to, you know, move his feet, guard laterally, you know, a bunch of the time. First, he's going to foul a lot, as he's been doing. And two, he's not there to block shots. He's not there to erase shots. Um... These two things go hand in hand. Uh, Four out, one in doesn't just apply on offense. Um, If you've got it on defense, then Bona's your center. He's your center guarding fives, but he can also switch. Uh, In college basketball, especially with the way Mick Cronin does it, you're often just switching. So yeah, he's starting out guarding the five, but what does that even mean? They do a ball screen, suddenly he's guarding a point guard, and he can do that credibly. But uh, having him in there, you can always switch him back to be the one who's manning the key, uh, with Mara in alongside him. Bona doesn't have that role. He's often out there guarding on the perimeter, picking up fouls and not actually utilizing his main strength as a defender, which is a racing, racing shots at the rim. All these things go together. And on offense, um, I think we saw some high-low action that actually worked in maybe the first two games, and we haven't seen it again. Uh, They they haven't really been able to hit that. And if you can't do that, and you also don't rebound at a high rate, um, you're not getting any value from the big, big lineup, and you're getting all, all of the negatives, and then some.
1: Yeah, there's so many many things to analyze here, and it's really interesting, too, because... um... It makes sense on paper, but the way it's working, when when you when you have two bigs, uh, they're primarily bringing uh, one of the bigs. This is on offense out to the high post. Um, sets a ball screen from that uh, from that point right there. It, it, uh, let's even back it up. He comes out to the high post, catches the ball, looking to pass into the low post. There are so many bodies in there because every not only are the the two defenders for the two bigs or people collapsing down that I, I said for the first five minutes of the first game where I said, wow, this is brilliant. Um, it hasn't worked. So then the other option is that he comes out for the ball screen. Now there's a couple of things you do coming off a ball screen. It gives the guard a chance to make a couple of decisions, either come around the ball screen. He's got an open outside shot. He can hit that, or he's got a lane to the basket. Um, What it also does, it allows the post to rotate back and you can throw him an alley-oop or he's got defenders moving so it's easy to get position in the post. This has not worked because the other post is on the other block and it's drawn so many people into that area. There's no room to work. Um, So it's, it's not working. So what happens is there's a lot of ball movement handoff at around the top, of the key and the post players are not touching the ball in the post, which is what the objective of this all should be. We, we saw the alley-oop to from Andrews to, uh, Mara last night. And I think that was the first alley-oop of the season.
0: And it was pure pick and roll. Like pure it's, pick it's and basic roll. stuff that you can do four out one in exactly. Like it's
1: so nothing. There has been no benefit yet to this. Um, I, I believe they're going to keep trying this. Um, and and then on the other side is is the defense. I'll, I'll tell you this. I thought, I think Adai Mara is getting, this is the most promising regardless of uh, one in, four out, or two bigs. Mara's getting much better overall as a defender he can move his feet better well maybe he can move his body because he's so long better than i would have anticipated they he switched some and off he stayed in front of his guy but then with the switch there were problems of of matching up and rotating i get all that but what i'm finding encouraging about him he might be able to switch some like you said switch for a couple of uh, what 10 seconds and then they'll switch back in that initial switch. He's not going to be a liability on, on some perimeter players.
0: Yeah. I find that
1: as a positive right now, but it would be a better positive if it's a one in and four out.
0: <laughs> it, 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 it's to an extent. And I think the thing with Mara is he cannot be your end game guy in a close game because he does give up a lot defensively. I mean, at, yeah. at the end of that game last night, I think everyone was begging for them to go small for the last three minutes, and it took until the last 40 seconds before they finally did. Because Mara was, and he was trying, and he was doing a fine enough job. It's just he cannot play close enough on the perimeter when a team goes five out with a lot of shooters. Yes. Um, he can't. Uh, and it's it's a bad idea for him, too, because he's going to then get blown by really easily.
1: So the the key to this, though, is even they're looking at it, and I think, I think they're looking at it that we have so many bigs who are talented. Uh, we've got uh you know Mara Bona and uh Biuk which are three of our best players. We have to play two bigs to have them on the court at the same time, but the thing is you don't because Biuk Tunjo is I think has shown in a one in four out he'll be able to switch a- and play decent enough defense. Um and it was a shame last night because he he had two consecutive possessions where... And then got hurt. And then got hurt. Um, that was the biggest development for me watching that game That because I think, as I'm saying right now, I think he's the key to all of this working because he, when they... Even when... So there's a one-in, four-out. Biuktonjul is one of the four-out. But they've run the two posts with him. And he executes and operates better within that almost like it's a 1 in and 4 out. Um
0: Well cuz he can he's flexible. He's like flexible. he can yep. he can he can do some things out of the high post that aren't just stand there with the ball over his head waiting for something to happen. Right. Um so there's there's that um I still think I mean the ideal thing is he plays some minutes at the 4 and then they go small and that's just 100% that's what they do. Yeah. Um and Tunjal is actually I mean really in my ideal world he gets healthy and then he's playing back up five too but um this i guess like the the whole um idea of this offense and the whole idea of this team relies upon the idea that these guys are your best players and not just your best prospects um and i think that distinction especially with a guy like mara um and, and a lot of like so last night was UC Riverside, which I think that 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 needs to be baked into any evaluation of how these guys looked.
1: But but um, but, but but let me. Yeah, that's true. UC Riverside, but among the teams we've seen, and yeah, UCLA's defense wasn't very good at at. I mean, they were scrambling. They, they but UC Riverside really did well with its perimeter outside game. It it moved the ball well it's kick uh it's driving kick game it's second pass out of the driving kick it's spacing it was really good yeah it, it truly was
0: they did I, a nice job yeah. but I, I, this wasn't my point is this wasn't a team with like uh a lot of size so the advantages that you saw from like mara offensively from what bona was able to do they're not gonna be able to score through triple teams the way they were in this game, um, which is what Bona did like twice, uh, because they were too small to handle him. Um and then the other point that I think this all relies upon um and I, I think it's this is maybe the fundamental problem with it. We've now seen a bunch of teams so far uh do some five out stuff to UCLA. And I think maybe this was underestimated how many teams are capable of going five out credibly against this lineup. Uh, because I think a lot of teams, they don't want to be a five out team. But when they see UCLA lineup up with two bigs, they're like, okay, we've got five guys. who well, can well, handle and, the ball and shoot threes.
1: And why is because even with the two bigs, UCLA is not a good rebounding team.
0: No, they So don't you're not losing
1: that. that much on the boards if you go five out.
0: Yeah. Um, and that's just... I think there's just so many fundamental issues, and some of this was, uh, you know, stuff that was predictable, but some of it was, you know, they uh, other teams are adapting to what UCLA is trying to do. Like, I don't know if UC Riverside is typically going five out, but they did it a lot in this game. Well, uh,
1: and then let's... Uh, another key, I've already said B.U. Is, Tunjo is a, is a key to this. Getting Bona back <laughs> and settled down is going to be important. And I I think you've got to run the one in four out specifically for him.
0: Well, and this is the other piece, is that he also needs to have pressure taken off of him because he's not your number one option. He's not a good team's number one option at this point.
1: Yeah. And and the thing is, you got some, last night another positive was uh, the backcourt. I'd been advocating for a while that, in in their half-court offense dylan andrews is is developing not only is this one of their best shooters he might be their best shooter right now um he needs to be able to get some looks shooting the ball wow
0: i i'm i'm offended by this will mcclendon erasure
1: (laughs) uh yeah well when we're talking about how much volume you shoot and and the uh, percentage of it going in. Uh, let's give Will McClendon a little, a little bit more time. Will McClendon is a set shot three point. Has he made a mid range? I don't no. think so. No, Dylan no. Andrews' mid range game is probably the one of the best offensive weapons UCLA has. What I'm saying between him and Mac, Sebastian Mac. As we said before, needs to learn just not to put his head down and bully his way to the basket every every time. He needs to be able to look for kickouts, and he and and look up and maybe there's as the defense is being drawn to him. He could he could hand it off and dump it off. He did that a couple of times last night. Yeah. So I like the way that's going. And then on top of it, if Will McClendon can do what he did last night, that's the makings of a good backcourt and then possibly Stefanovic has a better game. I still think they need to run some things for him. If you put a one in four out and it's Bona and it's, it's last year's offense, right? You put Bona down in the post and you've got those guys all able to potentially score. And then Bona becomes the third or fourth option. And then a Daimara comes in. He's in the post alone. He's He's got more room. He's the third or four. I, I'd probably go in more often tomorrow when he's in the game and on and on the block. And then B. does can do so many things within all at the flexibility of his offensive game. And he's there because he can actually move his feet on defense. So it's there, I think. It's going to be very interesting to see, like you said, whether they continue with the too big
0: yeah because i think there's a there's a good solid team here um but it, it it needs to be carved out um and uh they there's a they need to develop the way they're going to be playing in march um and and right now i I guess that's my thing is and I'm not a basketball coach. I don't get paid millions of dollars for this, so take it all with a grain of salt. I just don't see this being what they're gonna do in March, so why bother doing it right now like it's okay for Mara's development you want to play him some minutes okay, I get it um but
1: but right on that point, you saw him he was he was fatigued he's not gonna yeah. play more than twenty 24 25 minutes the the key here this is what it all hinges on for me. Can a Dembona play in the two big offense when he's basically being drawn out to the high post a lot, or even when he's in the when he's when he's in the post and there's in the two big? Can no. he can he play in that? These guys are
0: these guys are pure fives. They're both yeah. pure fives at the college level. That's just yeah. what they are. And this idea that you can play two fives in college is it's it's just not a thing that that you can do. And that's just and. I, Again, I, I'm I'm talking as just a lay fan who's just watching the games, but you don't see teams do this because it's not something you can do. Um, and I think there was this idea, I think, that like Mara was going to come in and he was going to be quite a bit more ready, like just ready to do stuff that he's developing. Yeah, you saw some jump hooks, you saw, you know, some nice looking post moves, but you also see him get knocked off the block by Riverside players. Um, you see him get knocked off balance by Riverside players. You see him almost getting stripped by guys who are like 6-1 because he keeps holding the ball down by his knees. Like these things happen because he's a young player who's a developmental big. Um, but most importantly what you're observing is a 5. That is a 5. Adem Bona what you observe with him is okay, he's trying to develop a perimeter game. He doesn't have it yet. He is a 5. Uh Ken Nuba that's a five, baby. <laughs> These guys are fives. They're all fives. You don't play two fives. I mean, Ken
1: Nuba has been the best five.
0: <laughs> yeah. But he's a five. They're yep. all fives. Yeah. Um and like frankly, in a like normal college basketball team, Berke's like a four five. Like that's that's not that's not a three four. That's a four five. At yep. college basketball levels. So I, I think as soon as Everyone gets on board with that idea, and getting back to doing mostly four out one in—that's when the real development of roles and responsibilities can really, really begin.
1: And then, and then that's when the defense gets a lot better too.
0: Yeah, because then you yeah. can play, um, you can play up in the way that normal teams do, which is playing a lot of six, 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 seven guys at the four. That's your Fabloy. That's Stefanovic. You can play them at the four, which is you know. Who they defend at the college level because most teams are four out one in.
1: It also simplifies the rotations on it when you're defending a perimeter team. Yeah, it doesn't make it so tough because when you have two bigs in your in your mind, they're processing who can close out there, who can rotate there. But it makes it it just simplifies it one more step when it's a one out and four. You're playing with one big and four basic guard wings <laughs> uh, and you're defending with that makes it yeah. a lot easier.
0: Yeah. So we'll see. Anyway. This is
1: going to be very interesting. I mean, like I said, either Mick Cronin makes this work and we're going to be blown away or he'll go back to the one four.
0: Yeah. He's not, uh, if he keeps the, doing
1: this and it's not working, I I doubt that he will keep doing it and it doesn't work throughout the season and he'll keep doing it.
0: I'd be absolutely stunned beyond measure. He's yeah. a, he's As I said at the top before we began um, nitpicking and kvetching, uh, he's a very good coach. He's won uh, a ton of games at UCLA. He's going to win a ton more games at UCLA. This isn't going to continue past a point if it's not working. But what that point is may make December a little frustrating for some of you. And this is what we all, what we kept saying preseason: there's gonna be there's gonna be growing pains, and that's not just. For the players. It's also Mick Cronin dealt eight new players. How do they all fit together? How do they all work together? How does this all play? How do the puzzle pieces fit? It'll take him time to figure it out too.
1: So, Dave, you just you also said something I went by really fast, but I think you should be the nitpicker and I'll be the Kvetcher. Okay. Yeah. I like kvetching. I like that. So who doesn't? Yeah. Dave Nitpicker Woods. Tracy Kavetcher Pearson. Oh, that's got a ring to it. That's
0: got a nice sound to it. Thank you. It's got a good beat you can dance to. All right. Well, um, I feel vented.
1: I feel kvetched.
0: Yeah. I feel... uh, uh, I feel a
1: little better. I hope everyone else did too.
0: Yeah. I mean, this was like a a little bit of a two-minute hate at the beginning, but uh, we, we rallied for some good basketball talk. Yes. All right. Uh, Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods on this beautiful Friday, December 1st. Hope you're all doing splendidly out there, and we'll talk to you again next time. See
1: you.